first reading from Colossians chapter 3. Yes, the new life in Christ, Colossians 3, 1 to 11. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you once, also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. This is the word of the Lord. We stand for our gospel reading. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Luke chapter 12, reading from verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that as I speak, Your people would hear you and you alone. Take away that which is of me and substitute that which is of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please be seated and maybe you turn off mobiles now before we have any more interruptions. I 
have a great friend, a good friend. I've known him since we were 12 from when we attended secondary school together. And our friendship deepened when we attended the same university as we'd meet up for the same church service every Sunday morning after sharing breakfast together. And after we came down from university, I even shared a house with him for that first year when we all came down to London. He went into the city of London and has done very well for himself. We're exactly the same age, but he's now largely retired, having made a lot of money in the city, as he, was, as he is much in demand as a financial accountant and a financial expert. He still works from time to time, but only as a consultant, and he chooses who he wants to work with as his skills and expertise are still very much in demand. And as a hobby, one of his many hobbies, he set up a wine bar in Spitalfields, which serves great food as well, I know, and uh, employs quite a few staff. He now has time to do lots of fun things like produce his virgin olive oil from land he's acquired in Greece. So every so often we get a bottle of home-produced olive oil with his own uh, label on it. And he's building a dream house there to spend more time when he fully retires. Well, the truth is, that friend is no longer, I had a friend. As this particular friend died suddenly, out of the blue, after a massive heart attack, some six years ago. It was a great shock. I, I was called by his mum, who I knew quite well, uh, in Spain, where we were on holiday. It was a great shock, as there was no warning, no illness beforehand, nothing to indicate that a long retirement and a ripe old age were not ahead of a healthy man of the age of 58. All the great plans for retirement and that dream house in Greece, which was virtually finished, all vanished. And you see, my friend was a Christian, was a church warden, had been a church warden in his local church. But like the rich farmer in our reading from Luke's Gospel, he'd made lots of plans, which we all shared in, but he hadn't reckoned on one thing, that his life would be demanded of him then. Listen again to that parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to share my crops, to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life has been demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. But are you and I any different? 
Saints, the most chilling thing about that parable Jesus tells is how many of us Christians in the West fail to recognize ourselves as the rich person in that story. He was living for himself and making plans accordingly. There was no thankfulness to God for his blessing. And folk, every day, every moment is a gift from him. The things you take for granted, as I mentioned earlier, need to be thanked. We need to thank him. There was no thankfulness to God for his blessing. No thought of using his wealth to bless others. No thought of making his wealth available to God for his purposes. Well, we work. We take our pleasures. And imagine we're going to go on and on and on. And people sometimes bridle at me when I say we're in God's waiting room. We are. I'm in my seventh decade. <laughs> Sounds frightening even to say it's seventh decade. But, but we all are, whether you're in your second decade or third decade. Because none of us know the hour or the day. It may be an accident, a car accident. You heard on the news, four young people, three men died, young youths, in a car accident. Did they believe that they were going to die so soon? No. It can happen at any time. But we imagine we're going to go on and on and on. We save for and plan for the years ahead. We plan for our retirement. We plan holidays. Maybe we plan cruises, trips around the world. Whatever takes our fancy. And now with the worst of the pandemic seemingly around and behind us, Some of us are making up for lost time. We're trying to complete things on the bucket list. Planning trips here, there. But what if today, this afternoon, or tomorrow, or Friday, were to be your last day? What if by the end of this week, you are standing in front of God, the Father, having to be judged on what you've done in this life? The Apostle James warns in James chapter 4, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this Or do that. As it is you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It is God. And God alone who gives life. And Jesus warns us in his parable. That the fate of the rich fool. Awaits any of us who store up treasures for ourselves. But are not rich towards God. But what exactly does he mean by that? are not rich towards God. I suppose the first thing to ask is, what exactly does God mean to us? What exactly does Jesus mean to me? You remember that when asked by a Pharisee, which commandment in the law is the greatest, Jesus replied in these words, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
Now his speakers understood that because those words came from the Torah, from the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Those who attend the 8 o'clock service have an advantage over you because they hear the summary of the law every week. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and might. And hearing it, I hope plants a seed that the most important thing in life is to love him and his purposes for this world more than anything else. It means loving God, loving Jesus more than anything else in the world, loving him even more than our children or our spouse or any of our loved ones. A mother in a house group I was once in said, I can't love God more than my children. But perhaps she was failing to see the reality that God loves her children more than she does. That God holds her children in his hands. And their lives are just as contingent as hers. If God's protection is not around us. You know there's a song we sing. And if our God is for us. Then who could be against? What can stand against? He's a merciful God and watches over us. But it's all too easy to forget that it's God who holds the lives of our loved ones, our children, in his hands. We can't protect them, especially when they're adults away from us. But he can. So what does loving God more than anything else look like? Well, the description of the disciples after Pentecost at the end of Acts chapter 2 is worth revisiting daily. Worth reading it regularly. Because it gives us a picture of what our lives should be like. We are told this, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body. And they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. Clearly, it meant for those early disciples living holy for God. Work was fitted in the spaces rather than work being the priority. They prioritized worshiping him, living for him, and prioritized progressing the kingdom in every area of their lives. How much time do we spend in studying the scriptures, whether on our own 
or with others. Because it's through that mutual studying, maybe in house groups, that we learn about God. How much time do we spend in fellowship with other Christians to pray and worship, as in house groups or prayer triplets, or by going to Christian events like New Wine, Springfest, anywhere that the focus is on worshipping and learning more about God and giving him a solid chunk of our time. How much time do we spend in prayer as an individual or corporately compared to the early disciples. Tomorrow evening, if you've read your pew notice, is our monthly prayer meeting. It's always on the first Monday evening of the month. But there are opportunities for prayer throughout the week as well. If you're working from home, if you're retired, we have morning prayer here, um, 9 to 9.30, Mondays and Fridays. We have a midweek communion. There are all these opportunities. And you don't even have to come to church. You can meet with another Christian friend and pray. But it's good to gather together to pray. And lastly, how generous are we with our time and money towards God and his purposes? Now, please understand, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. You know the saying, you point a finger, three come back. I too fall far short of what my stated love for Jesus that I've been singing about should entail. But we see in the New Testament that the disciples were so transformed by their encounter with God after Pentecost that their lives reflected this love and passion for the living God. You can see that they were like those described in the reading from Colossians that Chris brought to us. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Precisely what they did. They were following the teachings of the apostles, meeting regularly together for prayer, for fellowship, sharing communion. They set their minds on things that are above. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. And that was what they did, as they shared with one another whatever they had. And because they were together most of their spare time outside work, worshipping and praising God, they didn't have time for the other distractions, impurity, passion, evil desires, because they were focused on worshipping God and on getting more of him into their lives. Greed, for example, we saw shown up. Some of you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They were greedy. They, They pretended to sell their land, but they kept back a portion of it when it was theirs all the while. And you know what happened to them? They fell down dead. And greater awe spread amongst the disciples because you cannot lie to the Holy Spirit. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices 
and have clothed yourselves with a new self which has been renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. They were no longer their old selves. They were so impressed, impacted by that love that God had poured out upon them. That word again which uh, Nikki shared to us about God loving us so much. You know, sometimes the Lord tells me, tell my people I love them, and I think, I can't keep on saying it, because it, sounds, it can get so banal and trite. But it's true. He loves you. He watches over you. And they knew it, because they met together in the temple courts, in, and in, in his presence, and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God. It's because they loved God and they prioritized his worship and pursuing the kingdom of God above everything else. And it behoves us if we sing that we love Jesus, if we say that we love Jesus, surely to be like them. Where's the fruit in our lives that represents those early disciples? We need to prioritize coming together to fellowship, to worship, to pray together. Our home groups should be hubs of prayer. If you're not in a home group, get into one. Contact me, contact the church office and say you want to get into one. Come to our church prayer meeting tomorrow, 8 to 9.15. If you're two of you at home looking after your children, maybe one of you can come. Take it in turns. And we can start an evening prayer meeting again if, if you voice a demand, if you say you're going to be there. We should be asking God what he wants us to do with our lives, even the jobs we do, rather than us making our own plans. We should be generous to God's work and to our fellow believers. Because that's what Jesus is pointing out also When he says, those are not rich towards God. The clear expectation in his mind is that we should be generous to God. Unlike that rich fool. Our minds should be set on things that are above. Not laying up treasures on earth. And one practical measure of how much we love God. Is how much we give for his work. Through the place we call our spiritual home of worship. I know quite a few of you tithe already. And I remember that moment when God told me, you're getting legalistic, go beyond your tithe, give more. And I had to do it. Because he's right, we can get even legalistic about tithing. I salute you if you're like the widow who gives her all, the widow's might. Remember Jesus commended her to the disciples. She placed her all in the, church, in the temple treasury. But are we more, most of us, like the rich fool in the Bible? Do we actually even fulfill the Old Testament requirement to give a tenth of what we have to our spiritual home, our place of worship? That Old Testament law came even with a promise. Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? 
in your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. It's the only place in the Bible where he says, put me to the test. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the locust for you so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil and your vine in the field shall not be barren. Some of you may know I used to work for an oil company. I had a very well-paying job. And even now I'm not earning half of what I used to earn when I left there in 1992. But I can assure you, I've never gone without. Even in tithing and going beyond the tithing. I've never gone without. It's not that he's always provided that we've been able to go off to Hawaii on holiday each year. No, it's not that. But I know he's blessed us in the things that really matter. Protection from the darts of the enemy. Protection against evil. He's been a covering over our lives. And he's made sure we've not really wanted. But before some start arguing the Old Testament law has been superseded, the New Testament says that Jesus demands our all. He says, unless you lay down your life, give up everything and follow me. Remember what he says to the rich young ruler who came to him. What must I do? He said, sell all that you have and come follow me. Come live by faith. Jesus expects his disciples to lay down everything for him. He's not asking you for the old standard, the Old Testament standard, the 10th. He's asking for all of you. He's asking me for all of me and I still struggle with that. I still struggle to give him all of me. He's asking us To make following God, worshipping our Father, honouring him our priority. But are we willing to do so? To make everything subservient to his purposes. It's even the secular job you're doing. Are you in the right? Is that what he asked you to do? Or is he calling you to serve in another capacity somewhere else? Is he calling you to serve within the church? Is he calling you to take up a particular responsibility like others do who serve in the church family? It's about how we live our lives, how we spend our hours. If it falls short of what we heard about in the disciples at the end of Acts 2, then we are falling short. I know I am falling short in my self-proclaimed love for God. Think about it. Don't tell your husband or wife, you love them, but then don't spend any time with them. You don't tell your spouse that you love them, but then you don't do anything for them. You don't provide anything for them. If that's the marriage or relationship you're in, it will fall apart. And if we say we love you, Papa, but we don't do anything for him, We give him the fag ends of our life. That arrow prayer. 
occasionally. We never read the Bible. We don't read his word daily to receive instruction from that. We don't give time to wait upon the Holy Spirit. And do we really love him? Do we really love him? I'm going to pray now for a fresh encounter. Please don't be... I know it's a somber topic, but Jesus raised it. It wasn't my fault that it was the lectionary reading today. He warns us not to be like the rich fool. He warns us to be rich towards God. Because we can't outgive God. We can never outgive Him. Let's pray. Father, Abba, Daddy. Perhaps we don't even know you as Daddy yet. Because we have no real revelation of the love that you have for us. Maybe we've known about you, but not known you. Father, I just declare fresh encounter, fresh revelation for anyone here today or watching online who has never encountered you, never experienced your love for themselves. Show them, Lord, how much you love them. In a dream, awake, somehow, Lord, may there be a fresh encounter with you this week that they know the love of God and can truly say, God, you deserve my everything. You deserve my all. Let them know you, Lord. Let each one of us know you afresh so that we can turn and serve you with our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Maureen, let's seal that with um, the collect for today.